And uh, uh, although it's always been that way, I've never, after the first time that I preached, the, the nervousness kind of gives away just because, and I mean this with all sincerity, you're, you're very easy people to preach to uh, because you don't make it about the person that's preaching. You're just wanting truth. And if you're getting fed, you want to be fed. And so uh, uh, that I've never been nervous, but I've been ner- was nervous the first time. And this would be another time that I, that I am nervous. Uh, there is several things that I, that I want to convey to you, uh, not in this order, but I want to tell you a little bit what Denise and I are doing and, and what we're doing to follow the, uh, the, the will of God and all of that. But more importantly, with that, but simultaneously, I do also want to uh, give you the word of God this morning. And I love the song that we just sang where you are glorious, you are wonderful, and we're talking about God. We're not talking about the man that's up here speaking or the pastor that's out of town or the church or the congregation. We have come here this morning to hear the word of God. We need to hear him because our words are fleeting. Our words are temporary. Our words are not full of truth, even though we may try our best. But God's word is full of truth and full of meaning and is not fleeting. And so take your Bibles, turn to the book of James. And uh, I'm not going to be able to do the sermon or James justice. Uh, if you notice in your worship guide, it doesn't say James chapter 1 or like James chapter 2, 13 through 16. It just says James. And so we're kind of going to be all over the book of James, which don't be too worried. James is literally, you know, here and flip the page over and it's over. Okay, it's not a whole long, but it is five chapters long. And so I'm, we are going to be a little bit through it. I'm going to pull a couple of things out of James that I want you to, to get, and, I, and I'll try to correlate it the best of, to my ability at the end of the message to kind of showing you what gospel light has meant to me. And uh, you'll see what I mean at the end of it. But uh, normally when a pastor preaches uh, in James, they usually make it a sermon series. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure our pastor has done a sermon series through James uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, usually take about six, seven, eight weeks to go through a sermon series. And James is just so much in it. It's an unbelievable book, just jam-packed full. And, and my challenge would be after this message this week uh, uh, to read through the book of James. It takes about 15 minutes to read through the entire thing. So you could even tell your spouse, unless your spouse is here with you, because uh, she's going to hear or he's going to hear what I'm saying. But you could say, hey, listen, I read an entire book of the Bible today. And so I'm just challenging you to do the same. You know, you guys made your New Year's resolutions, right, already this year? How's that going? Okay. Um, it, it, it's uh, maybe, you know, you've faltered a little bit. Uh, Denise and I were on the road on New Year's Day, and we were talking. We were saying, you know what, really happy with, you know, you know with some things that we've been able to do in the past. But this year, we want to just eat healthier. Just eat healthier. Not necessarily to lose weight or get stronger or anything like that, but... But not, not necessarily a diet, but just kind of cut out, you know, greasy and, and soda completely and, and all that. And then 30 minutes later, we stopped at McDonald's. And so uh, that is not a joke. We did that. And uh, so I know how New Year's resolutions can go sometimes where, you, you know, you want to try the best you can. And then it's like, oh, man. But here, you have 15 minutes. You can read the entire book of the Bible. And uh, you can just tell everyone, listen, I've already started my Bible reading schedule. I've already read an entire book. And I challenge you to do the same. Maybe start with Psalms. And uh, that way they can think like, what? You know, but the book of James is so full, jam-packed full of truth and very helpful book. Of course, James 
you realize that James is not the James that immediately comes to your mind when you think of James. James the disciple, the apostle. Uh, this James is, anyone can tell me? Jesus' brother, right? Jesus' half-brother. So Jesus has a half-brother, James. He has, of course, some other people and his, some other siblings. And uh, according to historical account, James and his brothers and sisters did not start off following Christ. You can even imagine for a second if you were the half-brother of Jesus. I mean, think of the pressure that you'd be under. Number one, just in all reality, I mean, just it would be crazy to have people come up to you and say, you're the brother of that hypocrite that's going around saying that he is the son of God. I mean, just the pressure that was, like, you would almost want to distance yourself, which historically the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ did in the beginning. They, they historically separated themselves from Jesus Christ and did not, in fact, they've tried to commit him to like an insane asylum because you think about it, if someone were to rise up this morning in the congregation and say, by the way, I just want to let everyone know, I am 100% God. And uh, you'd be like, well, you know, your first reaction would be like, whoa, you're kind of crazy. What's going on here? And so understand that it was a lot of pressure on James. And just think about it. I mean, you'd be a little bit of resentment too. I mean, think about, you know, if you were James and your older brother, Jesus, uh, you know, you got a test in the morning and so you're feeling a little sick. <laughs> I don't know if I can make it to school. And he just walks by and goes, be healed. And then you have to go to school. It just wouldn't be... There would be a little bit of resentment uh, if you were the brother of Jesus. But, but James, we do know, obviously, I mean, he writes a book in Scripture, which, by the way, written in 40 A.D., it is the first book in the New Testament that was ever written. Obviously not in the order that we would see, written before the Gospels, written before the book of Acts. James writes this letter, and he starts off the letter by saying, I'm writing it to the tribes of Israel that have been spread out because of persecution of the gospel. Remember Stephen? Stephen in Jerusalem. At this time, the church is fifteen to 20,000 strong in Jerusalem, but it's just in Jerusalem. Stephen gets martyred, and then the persecution starts to come into Jerusalem, and the uh, disciples of Jesus Christ spread out, and the gospel is now reaching all of ancient Rome. And so James writes this letter to the church. But now the church isn't just in Jerusalem, it's all over the place. And so in a setting like if we were one of the churches, let's say we're the church in Corinth or maybe the church in Ephesus, and uh, we were to meet, they would have met in the home, they would have had uh, some food and probably some singing, and then they would have opened up the letter from James, and they would have started at the beginning, taken about 15 minutes, and read through the book of James. That's how they would have had church. And so this is how the book of James is written. It is written to uh, the, the church, and it's written by a person. By the way, he starts off, look with me in verse number one. If you have James, chapter one, verse number one, he introduces himself, and he says, James, this is who I am, I'm James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which now knowing who James is, doesn't that kind of like take a little bit bigger uh, precedence where you go, wow. James here, he doesn't say James, half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just introduce myself. I'm related to the guy that's, you know, the king of kings. He says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you who I am. I'm James, and I'm nothing but a servant to God and, by the way, the guy that I used to call a lunatic. I'm servant to him. The guy that I thought was crazy, let me tell you who he is. He is God, and I'm his servant. 
and whatever he says is just the same as what God would say. He's literally saying, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and a servant to God, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, uh, greeting. So he greets uh, uh, the people and we see the book of James start. If you were to read through the book of James, you find kind of this theme. You see a theme of faith and works. Faith and action. Faith and trust. In fact, if you look at verse number 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your uh, faith worketh uh, patience. Uh, but let patience have her perfection, uh, perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Uh, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So, if you open up your worship guide there, and you write in this, faith plus trust equals wisdom. He says, this is a book of wisdom. I'm going to give you some things to do. And simultaneously, through the book of James, he talks about having faith and having trust or being unwavering or being steadfast. Some of us can be really good Christians at proclaiming our faith and saying we have faith. And even, in some cases, having faith. And seeing our faith going to action. But he says it's not just good enough to have faith in some things. You need to have trust completely. Otherwise, you're just like a wave in the ocean going this way and going that way. And no one knows. That's kind of what a, a picture of unpredictability. You could be a great witness to uh, an unsafe person at your work. But if the next day you come in and you're wavering and you become somebody different, he's saying that's not wisdom. There's no wisdom in that. You're just like a wave being tossed to and fro. He says, faith plus trust, being steadfast, is wisdom. And if you want wisdom, ask of me. And let me tell you how to get it. Practice your faith. Faith is action, right? You can't just say, okay, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. God says, that's not faith. Faith is, I believe, I believe, I believe, I'm stepping out. That's faith. It's kind of like love and truth. We're to preach the word in love and in truth. You can have love, but if you don't speak truth, that's not real love. And you can speak truth not in love, and that's not truth. They go hand in hand. They go together. Faith and action going together. Faith and truth being stable. Okay? And then above it all, okay, with that being said, just some foundational thoughts here as we go into the message James was above all, fill in the blank, a servant. He was a servant. This is how he introduces himself. He's about to say, by the way, he's kind of humbling himself before he writes this letter because he's about to write five chapters of impossibilities. He's about to say, this is the Christian life. Boom, 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 boom. We're going to do five things. Five things that I think Gospel Light has helped me with and shown me since I've come here, reading through the Word of God. Five things in James. But there's a whole lot more than five in there. And I would challenge you this week, I really honestly mean it, don't just get the message from my words. Read through the book of James, and you're about to see some things that are impossible to do. And of course, whenever there's something impossible presented, that's when Jesus Christ said, comes in and goes, 
here I am. I'm the hero. You're not the hero. I'm not the hero. No man is the hero. Jesus Christ is the hero. Right? Because without him, everything that's impossible is still impossible. I have a priest since the last time I said that the truth hurts, but God loves us enough to tell us the truth. And he's about to tell us some truth here and say, here's some things you can't do. I used to read the word of God and go, okay, I need to, let's see here, let me read this. I need to be kind to my neighbor. I need to look at the right things. I need to do this, not do that, do this, do that, not do this, not do that. And, and then I would get good at some of them. And then while I was getting good at these ones, all these ones over here would start to fall down. And it was frustrating. I'd live my Christian life and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can never win. It's so tiring. And I even, I'll tell, talk about this at the end of the message, I, I even lost my faith. I mean, I didn't become saved. I just stopped saying, I said, forget it. I'm not going to try anymore. It's too frustrating. And then I realized the word of God is not a, a list of things that you're supposed to do. It's a list of things you can't do. That's what the word of God is. It's all the things you can't do. So stop trying. Because you won't do it. Even if you could do it, the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. He said, I want to be the hero. Stop trying to be the hero. Jesus Christ steps in at the end of the book of James and says, here I am. It's me. You need me. Because you can't do this. Which, by the way, is not discouraging. That's encouraging. I'm glad Christ loves me enough to say, you can't do it. Because if he said, go ahead, give it your best shot. <laughs> Look at him. He's trying really hard. It's so funny. No, he doesn't do that. In fact, he wants to lead us to joy. Being a servant, by the way, Luke chapter 22, is the greatest joy of all. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. Happiness is fleeting. I can get happiness in a second. In fact, uh, I mentioned this illustration this morning when I was preaching. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, I was uh, like most seventh graders. Do we have any seventh graders in here? Okay, good. I'm about to make fun of you. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, I was a typical seventh grader. Didn't know what I was doing. Of course, you know, like anything in life, just when you think you've made it, you realize you're on the bottom of a new totem pole, right? So it was like in, in fifth grade, I was like, man, I can't wait till I'm in seventh grade. Then I'm going to be a teenager. Then I became a teenager in seventh grade. I'm like, sweet. Oh, man, I wish I was a senior. They're the cool kids. Then when you become a senior, then you go into college, and then you're a freshman, and you're like, oh, man, like, it's like you can never attain. You're like, ah, oh, one day I'll arrive. And then I realize, no, you never arrive. It's just the bottom of another totem pole, okay? So here I am, seventh grade, wanting to, like, climb up the totem pole and be Mr. Cool Guy. I'm in this, uh, my dad sent me all by myself with another youth group to this youth conference, and we're driving to, we're going to stop at Cedar Point. I don't know if you ever heard of Cedar Point, but if you have and you've been there, it makes all other um, uh, roller coaster theme parks seem like purgatory. Because this place is just unreal. They, they call it like the, the roller coaster uh, world theme park or, or something. They come up with, they have a new roller coaster every two years. Uh, the time that I went in seventh grade, at the time they had the world's tallest or fastest, I can't remember, wooden roller coaster. And 
I had never been on a roller coaster in my entire life. In fact, we were so poor growing up, we didn't have enough money to go to like a little kiddie park and ride like the fair, like the little thing that goes around. What do they call that? The not the Ferris wheel, but the, the yeah. See, I didn't even know what it was called. I never could go on it. In fact, our when, when if you had said, "Hey, do you want to go on a ride?" I thought that meant like go in the car and drive to the supermarket. I didn't know that word could be used for something else. So I, my first roller coaster I'm about to go on is the world's fastest wooden roller coaster. Okay, I'm scared to death and I'm about to wet myself. But I knew that if I could make it through, if I could make it through, I could be cool. And no one wanted to hang out with me. This is not a joke. Like, literally no one wanted to hang out with me. It's like that kid in the youth group that was like, okay, see ya. And I was like, come on, guys, wait for me. And, uh, and then, like, one of the youth workers was like, all right, man, come with me. I guess I have to take you. <laughs> and so I'm, like, walking around with this, you know, 55-year-old guy that was, you know, going on the trip with us. And he's like, all right, man, you want to go on a roller coaster? I'll take you on a roller coaster. And he takes me on the world's fastest wooden roller coaster. You know, my very first roller coaster. So as we're going up, I'm doing what you're not supposed to do from the very beginning. They say don't look down. I started looking down. Like, I'm like, there goes my life as I started to go up towards the top. And, uh, and as we kept on going, you know, you know that, you know what I'm talking about, the ch- 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 and every click is like two minutes long, but it's really only a second long. And then when we, when we get to the top, I like, you know, I'm still looking down, I haven't seen, and we get to the top and I like look up and then I realize, no, we're not at the top. <laughs> we're only halfway there, you know. And then we finally get to the top and you know how it kind of goes, and then it stops for a second, which seems like another eternity, and then you go. Well, I had two options there. I could either jump and just be done with it and die. Or I could put my head between my legs and just not look at anything. And that's what I did. Because to me, that was the only two options. Uh, I knew there was other, I know now there was other options, but that's what I did. And, and of course, when we finally got to the bottom, I was like, you know, all right, guys, this is my first roller coaster, one of the world's uh, tallest. And I didn't know that they take pictures. And someone bought one of the pictures of me, like, <laughs> you know. So I went, I never was cool. And, uh, but I remember going on roller coasters. I would go, uh, went to college up near there, and, and we would go every summer uh, after school got out. We'd go back to Cedar Point. We'd ride the roller coasters, and that thrill that you get, that's happiness. You know, I went back and rode the same roller coaster, like, eight years later. The same one that just absolutely, you know, that first time, when your stomach just literally gets turned inside out, you're like, yeah! and you feel like everything's dropping. I went on it again, and it didn't do anything but hurt my back. <laughs> it was like, why did I think this was fun? This is the most boringest thing. There was, when we first went there, because it was the world's fastest wooden roller coaster, there was a two-hour wait. Now, no wait. The phone that you have in your pocket that gives you happiness, in about, by the time the service is over, it will be extinct. And there'll be two other phones that will be much, much better, that can do 10 million things that yours can't do, and you'll need that one. And you'll think that's where happiness will come from. This is something God is saying, I want to give you something that goes much, much deeper than what you think is happiness. I want to give you joy. I want to, those of you that have lost loved ones before, and God's let you experience that peace that passes all understanding. The peace that if you try to explain it to the world, they don't understand it. That joy 
that even through bad times and trials, you still are joyful. Yeah, there may be sorrow, but that's where the Bible says you can have joy in sorrow. Because it goes beyond what we think will make us happy. And there's only one thing that can do that, and that is Jesus Christ. And being a servant gives us that greatest joy. So two other foundational thoughts uh, as we go through, the, uh, uh, go through James here this morning. He does two things to lead us to joy. And I'm going to give them to you both at the same time because God gives us and shows us these things both at the same time. One is primary, one is secondary, but both at the same time. And that is, number one, he reveals who he is and he reveals the path of life. He reveals who he is and he reveals the path of life. God is not in heaven going, well, figure it out. Figure me out. Do your best. No, he reveals that to us. He wants us to know. He wants us to know. He wants to guide and direct our steps. He wants us, now, he may not show us the entire path all at the same time, but he wants you to go the right way. Uh, Mo gave an illustration this morning when, when, uh, when, he was, when, uh, when he was talking, and he said that Lainey, their baby, can't live on her own. It's impossible. If they were to leave her by herself, she wouldn't be able to feed herself, change herself, walk, do anything. She would, it would destroy her if she tried to do everything by herself. God is the same way. Only this, you know, my daughter Jocelyn, she's six years old, and there's things that I teach her. And there's things that she wants to do that I guide and direct her away from. Like if she had her way, she would watch cartoons and eat hot Cheetos all day long, 24-7, and never go to bed. That would be her decision. And in her mind, it's cool, let's do it. And I, as the 33-year-old dad, go and say, let's not do that. Let me guide and direct you. I'm 33, you're six. You don't have the wisdom yet. And God, our Father, does the same thing. Only we're 33 or Phil in your age, and we look and we go, I got this. That's good. I know what to do. I'm going to do this, okay? And he's like, well, I'm, you're 33 and I'm eternal. So listen to me. But he doesn't do that because he's standing up in heaven with a big old hammer saying, all right, don't have any fun. As soon as you have fun, I'm going to squash it out. And don't smile in church either, because I'm holy. And holiness does not include smiling. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, no, I want you to have joy. In fact, in Psalm 16, verse 11, he says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures evermore. Does that sound like a God that doesn't want you to have any joy? Two of you said no. No, like that scripture, I didn't say it, that scripture, so he really, like, does that sound like a God that doesn't want you to have joy? No, no, in fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. God is in heaven saying, listen, let me reveal to you who I am. Let me tell you who I am, because once we realize who he is, it lets us know the truth about ourselves, and we see who we are, and then once we see who we are, it shows how awesome he is. 
We go, wow, there's a big gap there, isn't there, God? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, there is. There's a big gap. But it's okay. I'm going to show you the path of life. Come with me. Let me show you. This way. This way. What I want to see the whole path. You couldn't comprehend the whole path. Let me just show you a little bit at a time. What does Psalm say? That he lights our path. doesn't say that he lights the entire path. He orders our steps. Not all of our steps at once. Steps at a time. God is leading us along saying, I want you to experience joy. And I want you to experience it more abundantly than anything else. So let's follow him. Psalm 139 talks about that he, he numbers the hairs on our head. Think of for a second, I mean, I mean, it's possible. If you were to shave, some of you, it would be real easy probably to number the hairs on your head. But if you were to take the, the most hairy person here, like the person that's just got like the most, you right there, with that beard right there and the hair, like if we were to shave the beard off, because that's your head too, and shave the beard off and shave the top, and then like, count, like scientifically, we could probably do it. Take us a long time. We could count the hairs on your head. Why would God even do that? Why would he even need to? What, what would be the point? At the end, when we give you the number, you'd be like, well, thanks. I guess. Like, now I have to grow my hair back. Thanks. Like, there'd be no reason for it. But God is so great and eternal and omnipotent and everything else that he knows that. He's concerned about you. For one second, I know I, normally we wouldn't want to get you focused on yourself in church. We'd want you to focus on others. But just for a second, focus on yourself and realize this. God loves you. And God loves you so much that he would have sent his son for you. If you were the only sinner on earth, which you're not, but let's say you were, God would have died for you. It's a personal gospel. And God is saying, I want you to experience joy more abundantly. Not in the congregation of gospel light, not the world, although that is true too, but you. I want you to experience life more abundantly. Not I'm going to give you more things. Not a prosperity gospel, but I want you to have something that you can hold that's eternal. And so he gives us, and he goes on in the book of James, and gives a list of things, a ton of things, that when after I read them, I'm like, there's no way in the world that I could do this. When I was, grew up in a pastor's home. Let me give you a little, just a little bit of background into my life. I grew up in a pastor's home, and my dad is one of the greatest guys in the world. Love him to death. Saw him at Christmas time. And I think it's a little bit difficult. That's why I think I have a, I have a soft spot for, for pastor's kids, because it's hard to be a dad and be a pastor at the exact same time. Uh, Brother Eric does a great job of that. Um, our first ministry as pastors is to our family. And uh, I think sometimes what the, the way that I felt as a kid was, man, I'm, I'm trying to do all these things. I'm trying to please my pastor and please my dad and please an entire congregation because sometimes congregations can be a little rough on, on pastor's kids. 
And so what that does is it creates this thing sometimes of, of, man, I got to produce and I can't do anything wrong. And I took that into college and I, I, uh, when I went to when, the first school that I went to, um, uh, I, I came from a, you know, a small church. My dad pastored a church of 70 in Maine, planted the church in 1989, still there, still runs 70 people. My dad's a faithful guy just preaching the word of God. And, uh, and, but I, I came from a, not a big church. I went to this school and I think, man, I want to, I want to work, you know, for a big church and that's what I want to do. And if I'm going to do that, since I don't have the name, I've got to outwork everybody. And so I went into this production. I got to produce, I got to produce, I got to produce. I specifically remember, this is just how awesome God is, but I specifically remember one time a guy by the name of Erica Pacey came to that chapel and preached in a chapel. I have no idea what he preached. The only thing I could think of was like, and I wasn't thinking of necessarily him specifically, but I was thinking, I will never work for an Erica Pacey. I was being selfish is what I was doing. I was looking, I was going, man, there's no way I'm going to be able to outproduce enough people or be known enough to work for a guy like Erica Pacey. There's just no way. There's no way in the world. In fact, I got kicked out of that Bible college. Now, yeah, good luck. Now you're starting way, way in the back. And I transferred down to Champion, at the time Champion Baptist College, now Champion Christian College. And although the college helped me in numerous ways, I'm proud of my college. It's, it's my alma mater, always will be. Gospel Light Baptist Church helped me in a tremendous way. And what I did while I was here is for the first time in my life, I was pastored and I was able to heal and I was able to learn that the person inside of you is greater than you. And it changed and flipped my world. And here are some of the things that I learned. Number one, this is how I experienced joy. The first impossibility in the book of James, count suffering as joy. That's impossible. How in the world can you have joy through suffering, through trials, through temptations? Verse number two says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. If you take that word temptations and look it up in the Greek, it translates perithmos. I don't know if Brother Johnson's in here. I do not know if I pronounced that right, but I hope I did. I took Greek with him and failed it. So trial, if you look that up, it means trial and approving time and temptations. During your trials... During your proving time, when we say proving time, by the way, we're not saying like God is up in heaven going, all right, prove it. Prove you're a Christian. Go ahead, give it your best shot. Because that's not what he does. He helps us. He is an ever-present help. I, uh, I love, I hope I don't mess anybody's theology up here just for a second. I love, you know, the poem, uh, uh, what is it called, Footsteps? Is that what it's called? Footprints. Footprints. This is a great poem. But the thing that bothers me about it is there should never be a time when there's two sets of footprints. Ever. There should only, all, only be one set of footprints. He's carrying me. I've never been doing it on my own. Ever. God is the one carrying me through anything. Listen, if there's anything I could tell you about Matt Thistle is Matt Thistle's a broken person. 
I'm a sinner. If you were to look into my heart, I'm deceitful above all and desperately wicked. When you look at Paul, Paul in his early writing says, I'm a really, I'm not a good guy. I was a Pharisee. And then you get a little bit further on in Paul's writings as he's becoming more and more like Christ. And he says, well, this is how you say, I'm really actually like one of the worst you've ever seen. Then in the end, like his last writing, he says, listen, after all of it, this is what I do. I'm the chiefest of sinners. There's no one that's a bigger sinner than I am. You're like, Paul, what in the world? The closer that you get to God, the more you realize your sin nature and who you really are is ugly and nasty and broken. And if you're not willing to face that truth, you can't be helped. You can't. One of the things that I had to realize was, Matt Thistle, stop trying to be the best version of you because the best version of you is gross. It's filthy rags. Fortunately for you, you have Christ living inside of you. And the best version of that is the best version of anything. I count it joy for suffering. God says, listen, you are going to blow the world's mind. You want to follow me? Let me make you a promise. Oh, what are we going to get? We get to follow you like blessings and yeah, yeah, there's blessings. Let me, let me give you the first promise. The promise is that you may not have a place to sleep. Follow me, right? He said to his disciples. He says, you may not have a place to sleep. Don't know where your next meal is going to come from. And uh, you need to be willing to hate your mother and father and let the dead bury their dead. But I'm going to give you something that even through all of that, even though James, who according to church tradition, was cast from the temple after he wrote the book of James. Cast from the temple thrown down uh, several feet, should have died, didn't die, and then someone bashed his head in with a, uh, bashed his skull in with a, uh, with, a, with a stick. There's your promise. You're going to have, you're going to have uh, trials and temptations, and you may even be a martyr. That sounds really bad. When you say that to somebody that doesn't know Christ, they go, well, I don't want that. And he says, yeah, 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 but let me tell you something else. I'm going to give you something that even if that were to happen to you, you won't care. You'll have something that sustains you, something that's real, something that you can hold on. He says, listen, don't lay up treasures on earth, right? Where moth and rust doth corrupt. All that stuff's going to go away. But lay for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt. For where your treasure is, there will your Heart be also. My heart's not here. Why would I care about anything down here? Yeah, we may be going through some pain and some suffering. They, the government may take our guns away. That would be horrible. I hope they don't. And if they do, they got to get it first, right? Yeah, I know all that. I get it. But the point is this. It's not the end of the world. They can kill you, but they can't take what God has given you. True, unsustainable joy, a peace that passes all understanding. Even if you do suffer, I hope we don't. But I got news for you. I can't go against the word of God, and I wish I could promise you something. I wish I could preach a prosperity gospel and say, everything's going to be awesome. But it's probably not. For here. But why do we care about, if this was eternity... Some of you can't even see over here. If there was a rope from here all the way to the end, 
And this little mark right here, I was to, if I drew a little mark and said, that's your life, and then the rest is eternity. Why do we care about that? It's this much. Why do we, man, I need a bigger house. Why? <laughs> Why? I'm not saying giddy up. Listen, I want a bigger house too. And I probably, hopefully you'll get one. It'd be great. I just got a new car. It's great, but I shouldn't care about that. I shouldn't think like, oh, now I've arrived, Brother Kim. I've arrived. I've got a new car. My car is already a year old. They came out with the new models. One day it's going to end up in a junkyard with all the other cars. Why do we invest so much in this? Oh, I don't want to go through any suffering. You've got this eternity ahead of you. Lay up treasures for that. God says, I'm going to give you the joy that you'll need to go through those troubles. Count your suffering as joy. It gives you a deeper understanding. A deeper. Don't you want that? Don't you want something deeper than the world? Aren't you sick and tired of trying to make it work down here? Don't you want something that's going to last forever? The fame, the pride. Remember as a teenager wanting to be popular. Who cares? None of that matters. Number two, be a hearer and, be hearers and doers. Hearers and doers. I did a really good job of being a hearer. In fact, I became like one of the best hearers. You ever seen me as a really good hearer? Maybe you're one of those. Really good hearer. In fact, I think in American Christian culture, the biggest idol is conviction. Oh, man. I heard a message the other day. <whistles> Convicted. Mm, I even cried. Yep, went down to the altar. Mm, asked for forgiveness even. Where's the fruit? So what? Is that what this is about? You guys come in on Sunday, the preacher gets up and convicts you, and then we go, there, check that off the list, conviction. Now I'm good. Conviction is only the start. By the way, the more you get convicted and you don't do the colder you become. And then all it becomes about is the conviction. And that becomes the result of your Christianity. He says in, uh, in verse number 21, he says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. He's saying the word of God is something so powerful. It is unbelievable. It's able to save your own soul. But be ye doers of the world, word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. He says, when you become a hearer and not a doer, then you deceive yourself. You go around going, I'm a good Christian. I hear a lot of the word. I listen to the word. I read the word. I even have the word on my iPhone and it reads to me while I'm at work. Sometimes uh, when I'm jogging, I'll even put the word on in my headphones. Well, that's good. In order to do the word, you have to hear it. 
You got the first part. That's the first part. Be a doer of the word of God. We deceive ourselves when we don't. Number three, reject partiality. This is one of the things that I think I learned the most here at Gospelite. The gospel is for everybody. And I know we should get a whole lot of amens on that, and that's good. But here's, here's my problem. I say that, and then I'll even like someone that I, or a type of person or a social status or whatever that I, that I wasn't being partial to, I'll even open up and love that person. Well, let, me, let, me, let me put it this way. Let, let's look at what the Bible has to say. Chapter number two, okay? Chapter number two, verse one. He says, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Okay, then he goes on to say, if someone is going to come in your church that's dressed not so great, and then you put him in one section, and then some other people that come in that are dressed really good, and you say, you can sit wherever you want, don't be that way. Then he goes on in verse number 8 and says, if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, here's, remember this is the second commandment, which is like unto the first, thou shalt love the neighbor as, thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. He says, if you do that commandment, thumbs up, buddy. You're doing pretty good. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, one, just one area, he is guilty of all. Here's the deal. I don't care if your bicycle has a flat tire, the chain's off, or it's just completely crumpled altogether. It still doesn't work. And so all of us that are going around going, hmm, look at your bike. Flat tire, huh? <laughs> Mine only has the chain off of it. Oh, <laughs> your bike's completely wrecked. <clears throat> Look, mine still steers, but you still can't get on it and pedal because it's broken. So what business do I have to go, well, your life's a little more broken than mine. And we become partial in churches, especially in America, because we have every flavor in the entire world. It's like, if you don't like the worship here, just go to another church where you like the worship. It's like, well, you know, the last pastor was a little better preacher, so I'm going to move churches. And it becomes this, like, all these different flavors of Christianity. It's like, which flavor do you like? Well, there's a lot of people that are like me in this church, so I'll go here. All my friends are here. That's one of the things that I have to fight against. Listen, me leaving here is tough. You know why? You're my friends. You know how many people I know in Fishers, Indiana? Zero. God didn't call me to go where my friends are. He didn't say, listen, just stick together. You find people you really like and just stick there. And don't let anybody in. He says, no, you need to be impartial. I'm not saying, by the way, that means everyone needs to leave here. My point is, we're not supposed to be partial. I think that's one of the cool things about Gospel Light, is when I walk in here, there's somebody that's homeless. Here's somebody that has a house. 
Here's some, and you can go down the list, and it's like, whoa, you've got every race. I, this is not a joke. When I, was in, uh, when I was attending champion, my first year, I was applying at a job, and there was a girl next to me, a married woman, who asked me, you know, we just started, you know, picking up a conversation. She said, where are you going? I said, champion Baptist uh, College and Ministry of Gospel Light. She goes, really, Gospel Light? She goes, I heard that you have to be uh, a mixed couple in order to be on staff there. <laughs> and I said, that's not true. And then I thought about it, and I couldn't think of anyone that wasn't a mixed couple. <laughs> It was like at the time we had literally like seven people on staff that was like white and then another nationality. It was like the craziest thing in the world. And I was like, maybe you're right. But uh, <laughs> no, that's one of the things that I love about Gospel Light. You can find every race. You can find every social status. Listen, we still need to do a better job. We could be a little bit more impartial. That's one of the things. It's an impossibility. You could read the book of James for 100 years and try to imply everything. And then at the end of 100 years go, man, I'm still stinking at this. It never ends. We're going to get on to the next one, controlling our tongue. <laughs> Just what I think I'm good at that one, I say something like, I'm good at controlling my tongue. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. They are, it's a list of things that are impossible to do. But with Christ, everything is possible. Number four. And I'm almost finished here. Number four. Tame your, you guessed it, right? tongue. Tame your tongue. Chapter 3, verse number 2, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. I'm perfect. Really? And able also to bridle the whole body. He says, if you can control your tongue, if it's trouble controlling the rest of your body, if you can control your tongue, I'll see, James says, I'll say this, then you're probably the perfect person in the world and you can probably control your whole body. The tongue's a tough one. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole entire body just by moving their face. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with every small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Oh, take, you can take an entire massive ship, right? Huge, weighing tons and tons of tons. And could be in the middle of a storm. And all it takes is the rudder in the back. And you can turn it. Your tongue is the same thing. One of the things that I loved about Gospel Light when I showed up on campus was, hey, I love you. You love me? Yeah, I love you. And it wasn't like, hey, I love you. There was a genuine, people were telling me that they loved me, and even though I knew for sure that it couldn't be real because nobody loves people like that, and if they do, they don't say it. I'm from the North. We don't say things to our parents. Like, we don't talk to anybody. I mean, we could, you could pass by someone on the side of the road and they have a flat tire. We'll help you. We ain't talking to you. I'm not joking, like, literally, you, if, if someone helped me with my flat tire, I'd be like, hey, thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they get in the car and they drive off. It's just the way people are up there. He says, you can literally turn the world upside down for Christ, or, he goes on to say, you can make the world go to hell with this. 
what you say. Every guest that comes in here ought to feel our love. You're broken, and so are the so are the guests that are coming in here. So are the people that are returning to church. I never got out of church, but I might as well have. When I left where I was and I came here 10, 11 years ago, I experienced people putting their arm around me, which goes to my last point. This is all about restoring the sinner. When I left the school that I left and I came down here, I had been kicked out. I had been trying to live my Christian life all in my own power. You can close your notes. I just want to end with this. I don't know how to... I'm going to try my best right now to eloquently put to you how broken I was. It was the grace of God that even led me to say, you know what, I don't know if I can get out of Christianity completely. I think I'm, I don't know if I was thinking I'll just give it one more shot. Or I don't know what else to do. Whatever the reason was, I, God led me in that path to joy, by the way, here. I remember the, uh, Steve Sisson, who was the bus director at the time, he came up to me like the second week and he said, hey, heard you were a bus captain where you were before. Do you want to be on a bus route? I'll make you captain. And I said, no. I didn't want anything. I was hurting inside. And honestly, I didn't expect anybody to put their arm around me. I honestly expected to just sit in the church and then kind of drift off into the distance. I showed up on campus and Luke Chittum, who, by the way, went to school with me and knew who I was at the school that I got kicked out of, was the first, word, first person to come up to me and he put his arm out and said, hey, Matt, I'm glad you're here. And not just that phrase in and of itself in that moment, but it was the entire church. It was Erica Pacey knew it, knowing where I had come from. It was saying, hey, I know you're broken, so am I. The church is not a social club. It's not a show-off. It's not who can dress the best, who can look the best, who can be the best version of themselves. It's a hospital. And I'm the biggest patient. I'm a product, I'm a patient of the hospital of gospel life. A body of believers. What Brother Eric's talking about, a body within, you're a somebody within the body. Listen, our job is to find those that are hurting. Even though you're hurting, James says, listen, I am not a writer of the word of God. I'm not God's son. He doesn't even say that I was one of the coolest guys ever. I, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of God. God showed me that here. I was about to say, not to get all sentimental, but two, let me let, 
let me be a little sentimental and say, I owe this place everything because I owe my Savior everything. Don't ever lose impartiality. Don't ever lose saying, I love you. Don't ever lose bringing in the inner city. Don't ever lose putting your arm around the poor, the needy, and the rich and saying, I love you. Don't ever lose the joy in suffering. I could go through and as I'm looking at faces, I'm seeing people that we've prayed for on the prayer line because you've gone through suffering and you're here with joy because God gave it to you. Don't ever lose that. And always restore the sinner. He says, and I'll end with this, James, last, the last verse, he says all of this stuff, impossibilities, you can't do this, only God can do it through you. And then he ends with two last verses. He says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him or one brings him to repentance, one goes after him, and puts his arm around him in the love of Christ, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. If someone hadn't gone after me, if someone hadn't put their arm around me and said, I love you, if I hadn't had a Luke Chittum put his hand out and say, instead of going, hey man, I hope you sink or swim here, buddy. Good luck. I know what you've done. But instead said, hey man, I'm glad you're here. Your home. He that does that shall save a soul from death. There's broken people that are walking down the path of destruction. All they need, people in here today, that are one. They're this. They're they're on the fence, and they're wondering if anyone actually really loves them or cares about them, and they're ready to walk away from it all. And all they need is somebody to genuinely put their arm around them and say, I love you. Let me show you the same path of joy that I found. Honestly, that's what I'm doing. I told Brother Eric is we've been having conversations now for a month and a half about this transition. I said, you know, I said, this move is a little more bitter than it is sweet. I've, I've had two other moves in my life in ministry and they were bittersweet, but they were kind of a little more sweet than they were bitter. It was a, I mean, when I came here, man, I was like pumped. I was looking forward to, to getting here because I'd already been here before. I knew a lot of you. I loved you. Our families loved each other. This one's a little more bitter than it is sweet. But I said, you know, my path of life isn't about just spending it where I know I'm loved. I need to bring that love the same love that Gospel Light showed me, there's other places that need that. We shouldn't hoard it all in, right? Keep that joy to ourselves. Let's spread it. If you go out into your community tomorrow, go to work, go to Walmart, go to the grocery store, gas station, let's spread that love. Put your arm around a sinner. Someone that's broken, someone that doesn't deserve it, like me. And you will save a soul from death. Heads bowed, eyes closed.